Okay, this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, we're just beginning a series in the book of Revelation, but we're also alternating a series in the book of Daniel with Pastor Rob. I remember Pastor Chuck, many years ago, said that he, uh, he had a dream, and he was visiting hell, and in his dream, he, he asked the devil, well, uh, are there any Baptists in here? And the devil said, yeah, there's a lot of Baptists. Any Lutherans? Yeah, there's some Lutherans. Presbyterians? Yeah, there's Presbyterians. Methodists? Yeah, Catholics? Yeah, there's Calvary Chapel? Yeah, there's some Calvary Chapel people. Vineyards? Yeah, there's some of those in here. Wow. He said, wow. And then the next part of his dream, he was in heaven, and he asked St. Peter, uh, any Baptists here? No, no Baptists. Any Lutherans? No, no Lutherans. No Presbyterians? Any Calvary Chapel people? No, no Calvary Chapel people here. And Chuck said, wow. What's that about? He says, well, we don't know any of those names. The only names we know are Christians. Christians. Now, the reason I tell that story is oftentimes as we go through chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we have a, we have a tendency, uh, we have a tendency to pick out, oh yeah, that's the Methodists, we, <laughs> oh yeah, those lukewarm, uh, yeah, those uh, backsliders, yeah, that's the Presbyterians, <laughs> or whatever, and of course, we see ourselves, we're the Church of Philadelphia, <laughs> we're the good church, Right? Uh, I don't necessarily think that that's exactly why uh, this is in the book. These uh, letters to the seven churches were written to encourage the churches. Have you ever heard a message, and uh, as you heard the message, you're thinking, man, I I miss... I wish. I hope my wife's listening. You know, you give your wife a little, or your husband, are you listening? Wake up, wake up. Or maybe you think, I wish my uncle would hear this, or I wish my friend would hear that. Um, And I suppose there is some application there. But in each of these letters, he ends the phrase, he ends his little letter with, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, he's not talking about just having a physical ear because it looks like all of you guys got ears this morning. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? So it's not this, uh, these letters are not written so that you can give your mate a jab, say, you know. No, that's, it, it's, are you listening? Is Calvary Chapel Mission Viejo listening to what the Spirit would say to the church through these letters? So, Let's take a look. We're, we're covering chapter 3, which is the last of the three church, of the seven churches. Let's see what uh, the Spirit is saying to the church. Uh, each one of these has a specific problems, and each one, Jesus has an answer. He has something he wants to say. So let's take a look. We'll, we'll take one church at a time, and the first church is found in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, the message to Sardis. Let me read it, and you can follow along in your Bible. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. That's the Bible that we find very close to the original Greek and very accurate translation. So, 
Well, why don't we pray first? Probably be a good thing. Father, Holy Spirit, impart the words in this page and place them in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, I will come. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus has an answer for those who look good, look good. Now notice in verse 1, once again, he identifies himself with a vision that's found in chapter 1, has the seven spirits of God, the fullness of the Spirit of God on him, and the seven stars represent uh, the pastors of these churches that he's speaking to. Now, rather than commending them, as he does in many of the other churches, he just uh, begins with a solid uh, exhortation, a word of rebuke. Um, He says, um, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're really dead. Uh, They look good, but they're not. Now, in in verse 4, he does say, there's a few of you, there's a few that are hanging in there, but for the most part, um, you're dead. You have a name, yet you're alive, but there's really nothing going on in that church. Um, They've gone past where Ephesus was. You remember Ephesus? They lost their first love. Well, they've gone a little bit further. Looks like a Christian church, but there's no life in it. Now, there's two applications. First would be an actual Christian churches. We know some denominations. They have a name. And we won't name any, we won't point any fingers. They have a name that they're a Christian church, but you go in there and there's, there's no spiritual life. You, if you talk to the people in that church, they would say that they're Christians, but you don't sense that there's, there's a walking with Jesus. There's a, there's a relying on, in faith on him and and a trusting in the Holy Spirit to use them. That's, that's missing. And maybe you even know some people who would call themselves Christians. Personally, you know, they, you'd ask them if they're Christians, but as you talk to them, there's, there's no move of the Spirit. There's, there's no spiritual life in them. You, they would identify themselves as Christians, but you wonder what's going on inside. And that's what was wrong with Sardis. They had a name, but they're dead. They look good, but there's nothing there. Now, what does Jesus say? Well, in verse 2, he says, wake up, (laughs) wake up. Somebody asked my dear wife, "Uh, do you ever wake up cranky? Do you ever wake up cranky? She says, no, I used to, but now I just let him sleep. Jesus says, wake up, wake up. Now, 
What does he mean by wake up? Well, he goes on in verse 2. And strengthen the thing that, that remain, which are about to die. There are some things in there. It would be like if, if you're starting a fire and you've got a little kindling and there's a little tiny spark, just a little tiny one there. So you gather some kindling around and what do you do? You're trying to get it. That's what he says. There, there's, there's something in there. There is something in there. Uh, but, you know, get it going again. Strengthen. There's not much, but there's something in there and you blow on it and get it going. Maybe the fire, wake up. So he says, Strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. See, the fire's about to go out, but there's a little spark, and you might be able to get it going again. So strengthen those things that are good. And then he says, verse 3, and remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. It's the second part. Too often, what we do is we look at the current circumstances, Okay? And you might be looking at your difficult times now and you might say, oh, fudge. This is terrible. Where's God when I need him? Has God forgotten me? I pray and nothing happens. I read the Bible, I can't think. You know, what's going on? And what the Bible says is you need to remember. What do you say? Remember what you've received and heard. That is a very critical thing to do because oftentimes our focus is on the present troubles rather than remembering what God has done in the past. Now, if you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, throughout the whole of the Hebrew Scriptures, God is constantly telling the Hebrew people, the Israelis, to do what? Remember, remember that I got you out of Egypt. Remember this, remember, remember, remember. And he had all kinds of feasts. Three feasts that they had to go up to Jerusalem every year. And what did they do when they got there? They remembered the goodness of God. They remembered the power of the Spirit in the past. Because the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So the God who rescued you two years ago is the same God today that will deliver you from your present evil circumstances. My friends, remember. Remember. And he goes on. And repent. Repent. Which means act upon it. Change your stinking attitude. Whatever it is. Remember what God has done in the past because he'll work in your life today. He will. He hasn't forgotten you. The bottom hasn't dropped out. And wake up. So he calls us to strengthen those who remain. Remember what you've seen. Keep it and repent. Just don't remember it, but act upon it. Act as if God is alive again, like he was three years ago when he rescued you. He's the same God. Okay. Now, if you don't do this, look what he says, bottom of verse 3. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Here's the incentive. Sudden judgment. Sudden judgment. Now it says in 1 Peter 4.17 that judgment begins where? At the house of God. So if God is going is to straighten up a culture, if God is going to straighten up a city, you know where he's going to begin? 
right here. Judgment begins at the household of God. He says, you guys don't wake up. I'm coming. Sudden judgment is coming. Then verse 5, isn't this an interesting verse? He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now remember who said who the overcomers are. Who are the overcomers? Those who believe. Those who believe. And he says... I will not erase his name from the book of life. And so, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Neil. That's, that's kind of, don't skip quickly over that verse. The reason why in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says, at the end of the age, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. Oh, <laughs> So you don't want to have your name erased from the book of life. Why? Because if your name's not in the book of life, you're going in the, in the barbecue. <laughs> well, this is kind of, well, 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 Pastor Neil, what do you think that means? Well, there would be two positions on this, both of them held by Orthodox Christians, believers, sincere believers. There are those who say, if you go too far, too long, You can lose it. You can be a believer and lose it and find yourself erased from the book of life and in the huskal with the rest of the the lost. And I have to be truthful with you. When you look at this verse, it says, what do you mean? It says you can have your name erased from the book of life. And I, I have friends that believe that. Now, I don't believe that. Well, what do you believe, Pastor Neil? Well, what I believe, if you take what I believe in a dollar and a half, it'll get you a ride on the bus. It's not what I believe is important. What does the Bible say? (laughs) See, that's the important thing. That's the important thing. Now, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a... New creation. So when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit came into me, the person who existed prior to me accepting Christ is no longer alive. I'm a new creature in Christ. Philippians 1.16 says, and Philippians, they were good people. Remember Philippians? We just went through it with Pastor Rob. Uh, I am convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, Pastor Neil, if you, uh, are you saying once saved, always saved? Well, I don't go that way. Because that oftentimes, you know, you've seen it. They got the guy in the drunk in the bar. Yeah, I went forward at VBS when I was 10 years old. and That kind of you know, or silliness, and you think, oh, yeah, right. That's what that doctrine leads to, you know, sloppy living. You can, you know, you went forward 10 years ago, and now you're still acting like a sinner. You, matter of fact, you are a sinner. And how can you say you're going to go to heaven? I've had some friends who uh, lived a Christian life for a while, and then they just went off the deep end, and it's like, 
Uh, well, what do you think about that, Pastor Neil? Do you think he was saved? That's not my job. I, God, you don't want me as your judge? I'm not your judge. Who's the judge? I can't look at your heart. I don't know their heart. Oftentimes I'll say, well, if the person is living that kind of life, maybe they made some sort of half-hearted commitment. Maybe they never were saved in the first place. Hmm, I don't know. Now, some have said about this verse is the book of life is when you're born, your name is written in the book of life. You're alive, right? Amen. You're alive. Now, Remember this saying? This is a good saying to remember. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Unless a man is born again, he shall not enter or see the kingdom of God. You've got to be born twice. Once by your mother, and the second time by the Spirit of God. Born once, die twice. If you're not born again, you're going to die. And that's when your name is taken out of the book of life, when you don't receive Christ, when you're not an overcomer. Now, that's kind of where I come at. That, uh, like I said, there's many people who believe that this verse says, you can go too far, you go too far, too long, you're going to lose it. But this is where I come down. Or at least that's how I understand the scripture. So, um, he wasn't here. Let him hear what the Spirit saying to the church. Difficult verse. Okay, let's move on to um, the message to Philadelphia. Verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, He was holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. I know your deeds, behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have not kept and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they're really not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I have also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus has an answer for those who are good. Jesus has nothing negative to say about this church. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, he says to them, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Now, what does that mean, open door? Well, perhaps it means an open door to ministry. It is a real chance of ministry. These folks here are, uh, are good people. There's, Jesus has nothing negative to say about them at all. He just says, I have an open door. Open door for ministry, an open door for the prosperous life that Jesus says, the abundant life. Jesus says, I can't, you might have life and life more abundantly. That's available to them. The door is open. 
Now, I talk to people, and, and they'll say, you know, I'm, Pastor, I'm, I'm really waiting for an open door at work to maybe for that promotion. or I'm waiting, um, hoping for an open door for ministry here at the church. Um, looking for an open door uh, in a relationship. Uh, looking for my life partner, looking for that open door. And it's not happening. What should I do, Pastor? Well, once again, what does the Bible say? Now, I'm not saying, if you're looking for an open door, I'm not saying that this is the reason it hasn't opened, but for the church at Philadelphia, he tells them right there why he has an open door for them, for that life, for that goodness, that, that they're so longing. Look what he says. Verse 8. I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. And then notice the word, because, because. Here's the reason there's an open door for the church at Philadelphia. One, you have little power. What does the Bible say? Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. This church is a church that has a reality that all that they have is from God. But by grace, by by God's grace, I am what I am. (laughs) Um, The other day, I had left my my Bible at the pulpit on Sunday, so when I came in Monday, I I was looking for my Bible. I said, where's my Bible? Oh, wait a minute. So I came in here in the dark, and it was like early Monday morning, and I I walked down here and stumbled around in the dark looking for my Bible, and here it is. And I looked around, and I thought, without you guys in here, it's kind of like, wow, this place is really big. And I thought, look at what God has done. Now, you might think this is my church. This is not my church. Do you look around? Look around. It's not a big place. Pretty nice place, though. It's God. Just like Ray said. Just like Ray said. Do you hear what he said? He'd been in Russia, but it's not him. It's God. It's an open door for people who have an attitude like that. You have little power. And here's the second reason there's an open door. You've kept my word. You've kept my word. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Let me make this application. So you're looking for an open door, maybe, um, maybe for an advancement at your company. Let me ask you a question. In how you're dealing in that company, are you keeping God's word? And if you're not, how can he give you the promotion? If you're not even doing the word now in the job that you have? It's a good question. Or in that relationship, you're looking for that relationship, that, that, you know, that life partner, the young people, looking for that? Let me ask you a question. Are you keeping his word in the relationships you have right now with your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters, your fellow Christians? Are you keeping his word in those relationships? Why should he open a door for a new relationship if you're not even obeying him in that which you have? And you can apply that to finances. You can apply that to everything. You're not keeping his word. Why should he open a door? Why should he have an open door for you? Hmm. That's a good question. But for these people... They've kept his word, and the door is open. The door is open. He goes on. And you have not denied my name. So you have little power, you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. 
Paul says in Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Now, do you notice in verse five, it says, I'll confess my name before my father and his angels. What do I say at the end of almost every service here? If you come forward, if you confess me before men, Jesus says, I'll confess you before my heavenly father. Is that, are you looking for an open door? Looking for an open door? Of course we are. Uh, are you that kind of person that, that's not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ in your neighborhood, in your business, in your school, in your relationships? An open door for those who have not denied my name. Verse 9 is an interesting verse. I think it, it talks about the conversion of the Jewish people. Now, verse 10 is an interesting verse. Because you have kept my word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. This is an excellent pre-tribulation verse, isn't it? Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Now, some people, maybe some of you are mid-tribs or post-tribs, and God bless you, and I love you, and my brothers in Christ, uh, But this is a pretty good verse. Pretty good verse. We believe that we're not going through the tribulation. Maybe if you believe you're going through the tribulation, well, um, that's nice, but I'm not going through the tribulation. (laughs) That's not the blessed hope. Blessed hope. Seven years of tribulation? I think the tribulation, we'll get into this, why we believe that uh, in a few weeks. I believe the tribulation is God's judgment on the earth. He's not judging the church. Why? Because the judgment of the church happened on the cross. I think uh, tribulation is for those who um, to ferret out those last few people who confess Christ, not the church. Now, he says in verse 11, behold, I'm coming quickly. What does that mean? Unexpectedly. Unexpected. He can come at any moment. I believe he can. Certainly now, all the craziness that's going on in the world I think we're closer to the, the second coming of Christ than we've ever been. Amen? I, I really think that. Uh, am I going to name a date? Well, I told you I was going to tell you when you can know Christ is coming back, but you'll have to wait till the end of the series. <laughs> I'm not going to name a date, but I can tell you how to, how to, how to know when Christ is going to come back. The day he comes back and sets things right. Okay. So he's coming quickly, and he says, hold fast, because it could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment. Then verses 12, he talks about um, what happens to the overcomers when we get into the eternal state. And we'll look at that in future times. So, Jesus has an answer for those who are good. He, he's got an open door. He's promised them abundant life and it's fully available to those who keep his word and recognize it's only by grace. Recognize that it's only by grace. And for those who have not denied his name. Okay, last church, 14 through 22. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, or cold or hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, 
Do you not know that you were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Jesus begins by saying he's the amen, the true and faithful. He's the beginning and he's the end. Then he says uh, to this church, he has an answer for those who are lukewarm. Look what he says. I know your deeds that you're either hot or cold because you're lukewarm, verse 16. Now, uh, my kids, when we were growing up, they used to call me Mr. Asbestos Mouth. And the reason they call me that is I like my food hot. I, like, I actually like when you put the, the, the plate on the table, I like to see a little steam coming out of it. I like my food hot. When we go out to eat and we have soup as an entree, you know, just you can have soup or salad. When we have the soup, Nancy always watches me because I take my finger and I'll just slip it just a little bit into the soup. And if it doesn't burn, I, I say, could you take this back and soup? I like it hot. I want to say steam. I'm Mr. Asbestos Mouth. Now, that creates problems at my house because when we have our grandchildren over, the little ones, if, if they serve the food the way I like it, they start to cry, oh, Grammy, it's hot, it's hot, I can't eat this. And so Nancy always has this problem. Is going to please her husband or are going to have the grandkids eat the food? Well, the grandkids eat their food. I'm, I'm, heading, I'm heading towards the microwave. I want to see it hot. Now, I like, I like my drinks cold. If you have iced tea, it's not supposed to be lukewarm, right? It's supposed to have ice in it. It's supposed to be cold. So I like my food hot and my drinks cold, just like Jesus. <laughs> just like Jesus. Isn't that what he says? That's what he says. So food that's supposed to be hot is supposed to be hot. And, and drinks and salads are supposed to be cool and taste refreshing are supposed to be that way. Amen? So what does he mean? I wish that you were either hot or cold. Well, he could be meaning I wish that you were either on fire for the Lord or that you were ice cold to the Lord. Now, why would he want you ice cold to the Lord? Because there's nothing worse than a lukewarm person. You ever try to share with a lukewarm person? Oh, I'm a Christian. Do you ever receive? Oh, yeah, I've done that. You know, it's like you can't, you can't get them to admit that they need Christ because every time you ask them a question, they've got the right answer, but there's nothing there. It's like, like eating a marshmallow. There's nothing there. But a cold person is a pagan. They know they're lost. Yeah, they're all, they got all tattoos and things hanging out of their nose and their ears. And, you know, they're just lost. Not to say that people have, are lost, but you know. You know, the, the hair and all that. And you look at them and you know they're lost and they know they're lost. And so you can present the gospel and they're going to say, oh yeah, I've accepted Christ, you know, or that. So Jesus says it could be meaning that. The other thing it could be saying is, 
You ought to be what you are. I wish, I wish you were like a cold drink of ice. That's, that's, the way I, that's the way I made you. I wish you were hot, like, like a hot meal. Because you're lukewarm, it's like, ugh. Nobody wants to drink a glass of lukewarm iced tea. Nobody eat, wants to eat mashed potatoes that are cold with cold gravy. Yuck. But they're lukewarm. Now, what's their problem? Notice what it says. They're lukewarm because they think they're self-sufficient. Look what it says. Because you say, I am rich, wealthy, I have needed nothing. Maybe they got a big building, they got lots of people, they got all the increments of being successful, so they think, well, you know, what do we need? They're self-sufficient. They were okay in themselves. Now, what does Jesus say to them? That's what he says. And I, I see this as almost tongue-in-cheek. Jesus, okay, you're so rich, see if you can buy this. And he lists three things that you ought to buy. Look what they say. Gold refined by fire. They can't buy that. You know why? In 1 Peter 1.7, it says, gold refined by fire is vibrant faith that comes through testing. You can't buy that with money. Then he says, buy yourself white garments, white garments that you can cover your nakedness, your shame. White garments are the righteousness of Jesus. You can't buy that with money. You can't do that yourself. So he's almost speaking tongue-in-cheek. He's saying, go ahead, try. Try and buy those white garments. You can't buy them. They come with faith in Christ. I said, that's the third thing. They might see the truth about spiritual life. Discernment. You can't buy that. It's a gift of God. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit's residing in you. Now, these are hard words. Look what he says, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Now, sometimes when I'm out there working on my front lawn, I'll see some kid go by on a skateboard. He's not wearing a helmet or pads or anything or something like that. Or sometimes I've seen them, they're holding on to their buddy's car on the skateboard and going around. I don't chase after them. Hey, kids, hey, hey, they did. You know why? They're not my kids. But if I saw my grandchild doing that, if I saw my son doing that, why? Because I love them. Now, not that I hate those other kids, but do you see, see the point? In other words, whom he really loves, he does speak to you. He gives you words, because he really does care for you. He doesn't hate the church. He doesn't hate the church at Laodicea. He's speaking to them because he cares for them. Hebrews chapter 12 says, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Okay. Now, you would do the same for me. If you saw me coming up to the pulpit one morning and I had a little toilet paper hanging out of my belt here, (laughs) would you say something? I'd certainly hope somebody would say something to me or if my zipper was open, hey, Pastor Neil. (laughs) Would you say something? Of course you would. Why? Because hopefully you care about me. And you love me? Well, it's the same. Jesus says, those whom he loves, he disciplines. Okay. Let me see if I can pull it together. Throughout the years, there's quotes, there's words, there's phrases that mean a lot to us. Um, FDR, in the very 
depths of the Depression in his first inaugural in 1933. He said, remember the words? We have nothing to fear but... See, you, you know that, that phrase. Uh, Kennedy, President Kennedy, 1961, January 61, says, ask not what your country can do for you, but... Right, how we need that in the country today, amen? How about Martin Luther King, 1963? I have a dream. That's it. I was listening to that the other day. I have a dream. I love the part. He said, I have a dream when my four kids will live in a country where they'll be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Isn't that good? You remember that? Stirring words. Well, in this, um, these uh, two chapters, there's some words, and I just, just kind of pull it together. Phrases that came over and over again. First one is overcomers. Overcomers. Remember? Overcomers are not some sort of special highfalutin Christians. These are people who are just believers. And whatever situation were found in these two chapters, they were overcomers who continued on no matter what, that's an overcomer. You just, you believe, even if you're going through tribulation, even if your church is lukewarm, even if your church has lost its first love, you just continue on. That's a believer. An overcomer, whatever's going on, you just believe. Do you believe? Do you believe no matter what? That's an overcomer. Second one, do you notice he always said, I know your deed. Now, you might find yourself in a ministry and you say, you know, I, nobody ever noticed about, you know, I'm doing this little ministry. Maybe you're, you know, cleaning up in the kitchen afterwards and you, every Sunday you're in there just, nobody, you know, Pastor Neil never says thanks or anything. Or, you know, and you're wondering, does anybody know? Can I tell you somebody who knows? You know who knows? Jesus knows. <laughs> and I'll tell you. It's much more important that he knows than that I know. Or somebody else says, wow, you're doing a great job. Jesus knows your deeds. He knows. Now, conversely, you're tempted, and this little voice says in your head, have you ever had this happen? Of course you have. Nobody will ever know. (laughs) Nobody will ever see. Ah, Go ahead, do it. Now, I don't know who that voice is. It could be the devil. It just could be your own carnality. But guess what? Jesus knows. <laughs> that thought that Jesus is right there with you watching what you do can have a tremendous change in your behavior when nobody's looking. Jesus knows your deeds. Then the phrase repeated every time, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Says it all the time, every time. Now, why, is, why does he repeat himself? Because when the Spirit speaks to us, when the Spirit speaks to the church, when the Spirit speaks to you, it's very important that you do what? Listen and respond. He who has an ear, we all have ears, I've said that. The question is, are you listening? Is the church listening to what Jesus says to him in the word? That's a very important thing. Why is that important? It's important, say personally, because if the word comes to you and you don't respond to it, you might never 
hear it again. If, if you're not a Christian and, and you come to church and you hear the word and there's a call to come to faith and you say, oh, maybe later, you might never live to hear that word again. It's possible, amen? Death comes just like that. Could be gone. Or even worse yet, you might hear it, but you're in such a position that you don't care anymore. You've heard the word of God so many times, eh, whatever. That's just Pastor Neil going off again, whatever. And you might find yourself in a position where you don't care. Who cares? Ah, eh, whatever. Your heart might got so hard that you can't hear it anymore. Oh, you hear the words, but you can't respond to it. Now, being that we're having such a wonderful time this morning, I thought I might give you the worst, worst verse in the whole of New Testament. I want to give you the worst verse. It's a scary verse. I don't like this verse. I didn't write this verse, so don't blame me. Here it is. And it goes against all the grace and mercy and patience of God that's exhibited throughout the whole of the New Testament. It's a contrast, an absolute contrast to everything that's written in the New Testament. Here it is. You might want to write it down, look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. Here, here are the, this is, these are the most harshest, difficult verses. Now, this happens toward the end of age. Listen to what he says. Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe in the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Did you hear what he said? There'll come a time when God says to the people on the earth, the people who don't believe, I've had it up to here with you. That's what my mother used to say. I had it up to here with you, Neil. And God will say that to you. I've had it up to here, and that's it. Boom. Done. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty difficult verse, amen? I didn't write it. He says, there'll come a time when God will say, I'm finished. The rest are going to hell. Is that what he's saying? And matter of fact, He'll send a deluding influence so those, those people can't even believe the truth. Oh, Pastor Neil, I wish you hadn't told me that. That's what the Bible says. Well, let's end on a positive note. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We love that verse, don't we? Isn't that a wonderful verse? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. Now, that applies to the church because that's the context, but it also can apply to individual people, amen? Now, when Jesus knocks and you go to the door and you look through the people and you say, oh, it's Jesus. Now, personality-wise, here's, here's two personalities, okay? First personality is not me. You see, it's Jesus. And you know what you do? Just open the door. Come on in, Jesus. Yes, it's so good. To, I'll receive you. I'll welcome you. You know, you're just that kind of person. Some of you are guys like that. When you, you heard the news about Jesus, you just grabbed the door and threw it all the way open. I didn't. I looked at the people. Oh, it's Jesus. I had the chain on the door. He opened the door. What do you want, Jesus? <laughs> really? And for about a year and a half, 
I talked to Jesus with a chain on the door. I, I, was, I didn't want to take that chain off because I was afraid he'd just barge his way in there and you know, mess up my life. I was, I was too busy doing some other stuff that we're not even going to talk about. So I'm, what do you want? You, no, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I began to dialogue with Jesus. Now, all of us are different personalities, amen? Some of us are still got the chain on the door. We're looking, yeah, okay. You'll do what? Oh, I don't know if I believe that, Jesus. Yeah, you will. And we're dialoguing with Jesus. That's okay. It's okay. Because he's at the door and you aren't listening. But one of these days, take the chain off. Take the chain off. Because he's got something good. And finally, one day, December of 1971, I took the chain off and opened the door. And he came into my life. And he's been with me all that time. Behold, I stand at the door now. Let's pray. Father, help us as we read your word, not only to hear it, but to believe it and to act upon it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.